episode three of the FCG podcast. Uh, we are very excited for today's guest, uh, my good friend and long uh, coach to uh, many great players. And uh, Rick Sessinghouse is here. He coaches Colin Morikawa. I believe you were just recently inducted to the SCPGA Coaching Hall of Fame as well. And uh, also founder of the Flow Code, which uh, we'd love to talk about today. Um, so, Rick, thanks for being here. Wonderful. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. We also have Connor here today as well. Con- yes, uh, I, I am back from Mono. I've been out for the last month or so. Um, so, good to be back. Um, you know, starting to pump these out again. Uh, Rick, it's a pleasure to have you here. You are our first guest um, on the show, uh, and I can't think of a better start. All right, let's go. So, Rick, uh, let's just jump right into it. You know, you are the founder of Flowcode, um, which kind of specializes in mental uh, fortitude on and off the course. Uh, why don't you walk us through how you got that started and where kind of this idea came from? Sure. No, thanks. It's it's a long story. I'm going to shorten it up a lot. Um, so when I started coaching 28 years ago, I was obsessed with the golf swing. I thought everything about scoring and being a great player is about swing. Uh, after I taught for a couple years, I found out real quick it was more than just perfect positions and all those type of things and started getting obsessed with the mental game. Went back to school, got a doctorate in applied sports psychology, wrote a book, and just really love going down the rabbit hole of peak performance as it relates to uh, the mental skills. And uh, we may get into this a little bit later, but mental skills like focus and confidence and emotional control and how you practice, how you prepare for tournaments, all those things I felt were being undercoached. Um, and I just really enjoy talking about them and, and taking people on the golf course and stuff. And so fast forward, I've been coaching for 28 years. Um, I, I wanted to make an online platform. I wanted to be able to share this beyond just one-on-one. And that's where uh, Flowcode Golf Academy came in, into, uh, into light uh, about three years ago, partnered with a gentleman um, from Slovenia of all places. Um, and uh, we've really uh, connected and what he does a great job. He has a background in sports psychology also, uh, but he has a, a, a background in, kind of the graphics and all the stuff to make everything look pretty. Um, And it's just grown from there. And we do coaching certification. We do online memberships. um, We do live events. And just really looking forward to getting the education out there of the mental game to help those uh, those junior golfers, right? Help all those golfers enjoy the game more, which is the number one thing. And then, of course, uh, play better golf. Right. Wow, that's fascinating. That's super interesting how of all the places you could potentially find like a business partner slovenia was the end goal there linkedin is linkedin is a wonderful place sometimes <laughs> absolutely so you know let's talk about kind of the mental side because i think me as a junior as well i think i i fell victim to this too and we we do we get very swing obsessed and we get you know we we, we do start chasing after perfection in terms of the swing but you know, at the end of the day, you know, you see players like Bubba Watson, you know, you see players like Brian Harmon, who, you know, might not hit it the longest or the straightest or the most, you know, like orthodox players, but they have this mental, you know, they have like this mental fortitude that is unparalleled in professional golf. And I think, 
you know, it is one thing to have a great swing, but at the end of the day, your mind is going to win you tournaments. It's not going to be your swing. Oh, definitely. And, and and I know I'm still a swing coach. I do know there's a cause and effect, right? The ball goes where the club face tells it to go. I get that. But I, I ask people all the time is why one day does a ball go, you know, a certain direction and the next day it goes somewhere else. You could say it's swing. Fine. But I'm very much into the state you're in uh, will affect that. If I'm in a stress response and I have I'm distracted, I have doubt, I have tension, probably uh, I'm going to swing different than if I'm focused and confident and relaxed. Uh, my state would affect how I hit a flop shot, how I hit a putt, the feel and all those type of things. So um, I'm very much into uh, state management as the way to uh, help people um, repeat peak performance. Uh, it's the repeatability that we're after. Everybody wants to be more consistent, but I don't think they look at the consistency of their state on a shot by shot, round by round basis. Right. So let's so let's talk about these states. Like I know you have a lot of um, quote unquote like responses as part of your flow code. You know, be it that stress response, be it that flow response, be it that uh, learning response. Why don't we? Can you kind of enlighten us as to what these different types of responses are, how are they formulated during a round and how do they lead into how it can, you know, like impact your round? Sure. Yeah. We've, um, and I say we, cause I now have a team, uh, with flow code is we we've tried to simplify it as best as we can is, is most golfers, unfortunately, uh, play golf in a fear state and we want to take people to a flow state, right? And fear is very much uh, about what potentially could go wrong in the future. We get it to a shot and we start linking, oh, I don't want to go there. And, oh, last time I was on this hole, I went over here and don't do that. And 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 just that thought would trigger a stress response or, in this case, a fear response. Uh, flow is looking at things that are in your control and saying, hey, what's the best shot for me to play right now? And then, oh, I can't wait to hit this shot and being creative. You mentioned Bubba Watson, very creative player. Um, that helps him get in the moment. Flow follows focus. Your ability to pay attention to the present moment is a superpower um, that most people don't develop. Um, and so fear is usually about the future, about what they don't want. Flow is about being fully absorbed in the moment and can't wait to do it. Um, so there, there are many different uh, responses, as you mentioned, but we usually just narrow it down to, am I in a fear state or am I in a flow state? And a lot of it has to do with um, the thoughts or what we call the meanings behind the shot. So we've all had, every all the listeners out there, even if you made a bogey in the last hole, you come up to this short par five and you just get excited because, oh, I love this hole. Okay. Why do you love this hole? Well, because past memory, I made a birdie on it. Now I could flip it and make a birdie on a hole and walk up and go, oh, I hate this hole. Well, your thought and your association now is going to trigger a different response in my body. So thinking patterns are extremely important um, for golf. I think we've talked a lot about pre-shot routines and that's fine. And I certainly do that also, but I'm not sure if we go that, that step deeper to say, do you actually want to hit the shot that's in front of you <laughs> or not? Um, we, we go through, yeah, I do this routine, this routine. I said, okay, now it's, let's get excited about this or let's get, I can't wait to create a shot like Bubba Watson, or I can't wait to, you know, challenge myself with this shot or, and there's different things that can um, actually trigger focus, which is part of, again, the research on flow is you can have a great routine per se, 
why on some shots are you more focused on than others? And sometimes we let the environment unfortunately affect um, things too much, but we wanna actually train our internal environment, um, our thoughts and our emotions a little bit better. Very interesting concept. I think, you know, Chris, you know, I kind of want to hand this over to you. I mean, one of your longtime students, uh, Zahab, just very recently qualified um, for the Corn Ferry Tour uh, in the finals. What do you see as that kind of separates him out from the rest of your students, say, perhaps, just in terms of that mental focus? Is there kind of that mental flow that he has? Uh, you know, what kind of makes him special? Yeah, yeah. Last uh, last week was a great week having Zeha get through. Um, you know, he's definitely the most prepared player I've ever worked with. I mean, he does everything right from evaluating his game to nutrition to sleep to doing practice rounds correctly, and and he's got you know good success. He won the Cal State Open there just a few months ago at 15 under. Um, he had to shoot I think five under the final round of first stage just to get into second stage. Um, you know, he was kind of on the bubble again going into the final round, and he did send me messages the night before the final round that he was nervous. And all I said was, you know, there's nobody else more prepared for this moment. This is what you practice for. You have to trust yourself. And, you know, it turns out he had a, he had a lot of doubt in the front first nine holes, and he was he made two bogeys in a row, I think, to, to turn one over. Um, and I know he told his caddy, Patrick, who he's working with now, and they're doing a great job together. Um, but he told him he needed to go three under through 12, and he did it. The next three holes, buried three of the next four, and he just put the pedal down, buried 15. Um, and then he had an awesome two putt on 18 to, to shoot, in the, ended up being nine under and making it by, looks like, three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's done really a lot of special things in final rounds. I mean, even go back to his junior golf, he shot. I think 64, the final round of the of our FCG International to win that event. He's, you know, he's been probably 60 or 70 under par just this summer alone. So um, how he does it, I mean, he's all golf and he, he does everything, everything right. But, uh, Rick, I had, a, I had a question about the evaluation of mental game and during how you handle, you know, talking to players after rounds, like what kind of questions you ask or how do you go back into those shots that maybe they messed up on? Sure. Yeah, I think it's important that we're always assessing. So one of my favorite words uh, is curiosity. Um, it's easy to be critical on a golf course. And all you parents out there that are listening to this, uh, please remember this. Uh, you being critical of your your son or daughter is uh, going to help. Is it going to be of no help at all? Um, helping them be curious about their performance is going to be what's going to help them long term. So to me, curiosity of a post shot routine, let's start with a shot in and of itself is, huh, that ball went left. The old Rick would say, you stink, Rick, you're horrible. I can't believe you hit it left. That's critical. Now I hit it left and go, huh, that's interesting. That ball went 40 yards left. I wonder why. Was that a mental error? Was that a physical error? And so I'm using curiosity and questions to help me process it. Uh, doesn't always have to be positive, everybody, but we wanna neutralize a little bit more of that critical judgmental um, talk because it could erode confidence. It could make us frustrated and such. After the round, I think the same things apply. Um, I would want parents and, and junior golfers to ask themselves, 
uh, three basic questions. It starts with is what did I do well? Most people are always, what did I do wrong? What did I do well? What did I learn? And what do I need to work on? Now, what do I learn could be both, hey, I learned that when I made three birdies in a row, man, I was just in this flow state. Or, um, you know what? I made that mistake on 12. I misclubbed. I need to learn how to read the wind better. Or, great, learning is, is going to be a key foundation. The third one is, you know, what do I need to work on to me is taking action towards making it better. It's not just making excuses. Um, you know, I talk about, you know, with Colin Morikawa, I've never heard him make an excuse ever. So it wasn't about the bad, um, the bumpy greens and the wind and the pace of play and all these excuses that people make. Uh, it was deal with it and move on. Now, you may have to work on it and say, hey, I need to work on when I'm playing in very windy conditions or, you know what, I need to be more patient when I'm playing with slow players. Great. You have to learn from it. So curiosity is going for that. So the the, the player needs to know what they did well. Uh, I start with that first because we're very, especially the better the player, the more, the higher the expectations. They just are wired to tell me what they are doing wrong all the time. Uh, there needs to be a balancing act with that. So post, post round routine, I think is quite important um, because I know we're talking to a lot of juniors and parents have there be a little bit of a cooling off period, um, maybe at least an hour between when your son or daughter signs a scorecard and when you go home or when you're in a car. We don't need to rehash that they three-putted 17 and stuff like that. Let your son or daughter have a time out for a while and put on, you know. So there needs to be some form of, a, a, you know, a one or two hours of not talking about golf uh, with that because we'll get very emotional if we come right off the golf course and we're bombarded with, why did you do this? And I can't believe you three-putted. And uh, that, you know, golfers are not going to be in a good frame of mind to give you a, uh, a good um, um, productive response. Definitely. And I feel like... I completely agree with everything that you've just said. It, it is. It's it's one of those things where I see it all the time too. It's like, you know, like I'll walk off the golf course and my coach will be like, well, why did you do this? And it's like, well, I know why I did it. I'm just going to get upset at you or grumpy at you. It's not like, this is not going to be anything productive here. It's like, I can explain this in depth when I've had a chance to even process it. Cause we are, I mean, golf takes a toll on us mentally. And it is one of those things where, when you walk off the course, you do feel this sort of, you know, this relief that it's over. You're happy that you've done well. And, but I, I do really want to circle back to uh, kind of your point on what we do well and what we don't do well. And I've fallen victim to this so many times where, you know, I'll shoot 65 or 66. And all I can think about is I've bogeyed a 300 yard par four. And it's the only thing on my mind. And it's the only thing I think about for the rest of the day. And it's like, okay, yeah, you have to take a little step back because you, you did hit two par fives and two. You had two, two looks at Eagle inside 20 feet. You know, you, it's, it's like, yes, we, we do. We love to dwell on our mistakes. And I think your point on getting out of the excuse mindset and getting into that curiosity mindset is so crucial for junior golfers to kind of unlock that next stage of learning because you're right. It is, you know, you, you have a choice at the end of every shot or at the end of every round. And it, and it is one of those things where you can choose to be upset and be frustrated and be angry, or you can have that opportunity to look forward and go, how can I make this better in the future? You know, I, I have this mental catalog of the last thousand or so shots that I've hit. 
And it is one of those things where I really feel like, okay, you know, I can pull from my catalog and go in, in the stress of the moment, you know, on 17, when I have a one shot lead, here's what I did wrong. And what can I do to fix that? Cause I mean, you've talked about flow states, you know, I've kind of done a little bit of research into your podcast and into your coaching. And I know you've said you prefer to play kind of in that amplified flow state. You know, you're very like emotionally vested. You're very pumped up. Um, you know, Colin Morikawa, like on the other hand is very Zen, very focused, very nonchalant about the whole thing. He finds right. kind of his rhythm and flow. Um, I guess kind of my next question to you is where or how do you tell golfers, you know, how do people find their individual flow state? What what makes an individual's flow state happen for them? And how do we go about finding it? Okay, so this podcast is five hours long. We're going to get into everything. Okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a great question, and there's a lot of intricate. I want to backtrack a little bit to when you talked about catalog of your thousands of shots, right? Um, our memory, what we remember, is built a lot on emotion. So if I hit a poor shot, and I'm just talking back in the day when I played college golf, and I slam a club down and say, you're horrible, Rick, I'm going to tend to remember that shot more because I put an emotional stamp to that. And then let's say I hit that par five and two, and I just go, well, yeah, I'm supposed to do that. I'm a good player. And you don't stamp the great shots. You will actually have a harder time remembering the great shots, everybody. I just want people to be fair to themselves. Yeah, you're going to get a little frustrated here, but I do want um, a, a little bit of, hey, internally, that was a really good shot, Rick. Way to go for that. Oh, oh man, that felt so good off the face. I had such a clear picture of that. Let's, um, again, anchor uh, those great shots also. So I wanted to backtrack on that a little bit is we can have a inventory of shots, but people tend to remember the ones they put emotion to. Why don't we put a little bit of positive emotion to some of our shots so we can recall them a little bit later? Now, back to uh, the big, big question, which is about, um, again, the studies that I've done with flow now in the last 20 years, especially in the last five years, is we know that flow is an actual physiological response. We know that there is a brainwave activity that is lower, less thinking. We know there are certain neurochemicals that are going through your body. We know that there's a heart rate vari variability. So we know it's an actual state, everybody. Uh, a lot of people say, ah, it's the zone, the flow. It only happens a little bit. It's like, but why don't we start to train for it more and more? Um, so I'm going to answer it kind of two separate ways. One is back to the idea that each person is an individual. We have different golf swings. Nobody swings the same way, nor should they. We have different physical limitations, different strengths. Same thing with the psychology of it. Um, back to like personality styles. Um, you know, there, if I said there's Brooks Kepka, uh, uh, Rory McIlroy, Colin Morikawa, and Bryson DeChambeau, they are four completely different personalities. They've all won major championships. Okay. And so who you are can play great golf, everybody. Okay. I'm energetic. I like to be engaged. I like to be out there. I like to talk in, uh, in between uh, shots with my friends. I like to, you know, bring that energy and fist pump up. That's me. Great. If I tried to be like Colin and, and, and be a little bit calmer, I, I don't know if I'd get as much enjoyment first off. And I don't know if I'd have the same engagement to it yet. If I was like Bryson and took a long time and try to be a perfect and try to think through that, that would make not, that wouldn't resonate with me either. Okay. So just realize that, you know, who you are can play great golf. Now there's interferences, 
if I play in slow groups with quiet people, that may be potentially some challenges for me. But then we get back to what are some things we call them flow triggers is um, back to focus. So flow follows focus. Um, you know, Chris te teaches great pre-shot routine. I teach pre-shot routine, but there's a, there's a layer that we we sometimes ignore, which is I can put somebody and say, okay, what do we focus on? We got the lie, the win, the, we go through all the variables, we make a decision, we go for it, right? But there's now things studied where why on one shot are you more focused on than another? If we're doing the same routine, shouldn't have the same level of focus? You would think, but back to there are uh, flow triggers like creativity, for instance. And this is, uh, I, I say this in podcasts all this time is, a lot of the players out there, if I gave you a trouble shot or a recovery shot underneath the tree, what's the percentage you pull that off? And they go, oh, you should see how good I do on these shots, Rick. I'm a, ma you know, a magician. And I go, interesting, because that's a much harder shot than a wedge shot from 80 yards in the middle of the fairway to a middle hole location with no bunkers. And then they sometimes make an unforced error and they miss the green and go, oh my gosh, what happened? I, it's like, no, your focus wasn't at the same intensity. When we have risk, when we have a challenge, when we have creativity, when we, we have clear goals is a big part of flow. When I'm fully clear on what I need to do, we can put that energy into it. A recovery shot has a lot of these triggers that helps us fully focus in the present moment. The 80-yard shot from the middle of the fairway um, to a middle hole location for a good player, it's like, ah, that's easy. Oh, yeah. it's like, And they get lazy. And they get uh, – <laughs> and what ends up happening is they miss it. They go – what just happened there? Well, that was a focus breakdown before it was ever a swing breakdown. So flow follows focus for everybody is that figure out what helps you get um, up the, the focus a little bit more. Like for me, curi uh, curiosity is my superpower, right? If I'm curious about a shot, I'm focused, okay? Um, I would say a Bubba Watson is creative. I would say a Phil Mickelson is risk taker. I mean, those things would help if I can funnel that into the present moment, you're more likely to be focused. Yet if those things are not there, if I say, ah, it's as easy as that, and we become, it's not that we become distracted, everybody. It becomes that we don't have the same level of intensity there. And that's what I, it, is part of flow, is flow follows focus is the first one. The second one to throw out, yeah, is something what we call challenge versus skills. Confidence is a key indicator for um, the mental side, for sure. I can have the greatest pre-shot routine in the world. This is what I need to do. And then if I have a belief system that says there's no chance in hell that I can hit the shot, good luck. Okay. So confidence, my belief I can actually hit the shot is crucial. That's built on this model called challenge versus skills. Do you believe that your current skills can match this current challenge? And if it's yes, fantastic. If that challenge is higher, like somebody says, I get nervous in that moment, they're saying the challenge is higher than what they think their skills are. They get anxious and worried. Whether it's true or not, everybody, most likely it's usually not, but we perceive uh, the challenge is much higher. Or back to really good players is when they believe that the challenge is low and the skills are high, they get bored a lot. And boredom is no good for peak performance either. So we are always looking at focus and we're looking at how do we up either our skill sets or we match skills versus challenge to get us into a sweet spot. Now, again, there's other, other many things that have to do with flow state, but those are the two main ones. Definitely. That's a fascinating insight. Cause I think I, I have to agree with you in that 
you know, I find my flow state probably is more, you know, because I, I tend to get, per, I tend to get pretty amped up too. And I actually find it hurts me more than it helps me sometimes. You know, I play a lot of match play and, you know, yes, when I get fired up, it's really great. You know, I play with two of my coworkers and, you know, I play against the two of them uh, and they're playing best ball and I'm playing my own ball. And I, I and, and I have what they call like my back nine run where I will out of nowhere from 10 through 14, I'll go ahead and rattle off four birdies to scare the crap out of them. You know, we'll go ahead and throw it out there. But um, I always find that my confidence has this big impact on how I play golf, because it is one of those things where if I feel like I'm practiced, you know, I'm really playing, you know, like a lot, I'm, I'm putting on my rug inside, you know, I'm, I'm really drilling, you know, this, these challenges I feel like I can meet, you know, I, I had this big belief um, for five or six years that I only really got rid of kind of in the last year where, you know, I always thought I was a terrible ball striker. So, you know, I had this, I had this reliance on my short game where I could just go, that's okay. If I miss greens, I'll, I'll just make every up and down. That's okay. You know, I think my high school career, I averaged about six greens and six, six greens in regulation and averaged about 24 to 26 putts per round. It is, it's one of those things where, you know, we have these, we have these triggers in our brains where we go, you know, okay, I'm, I'm good at putting or I'm good at irons. Why do I need to focus on anything else? Um, Chris, I kind of wanted to throw it over to you. Where do you see most of these shortcomings, say, in like the golf swing or, you know, in kind of what separates um, these players who say have a slightly better swing, but are kind of mentally lacking? Or do you find that those with kind of that mental, uh, the fortitude tend to go further in their golf Yeah, no, it, and and the the word that 
we've said a couple times is development, right? Uh, Chris, you and I are into developing juniors. It's not about quick fixes. It's not about, you know, hey, uh, a parent comes to you, hey, uh, little Johnny, I want him to to win the future champions event next week. And it's all about the short term. Uh, you and I have always been about developing. How are they going to be better three, four, five years from now, which is a different process. So I was fortunate that that Colin and his parents uh, trusted me to do that. And they weren't, you know, like, oh, he just shot 80. What's wrong? I never got anything about what's wrong or what he shot or anything like that, which is refreshing. Um, it, it was about this is my plan for him and this is what we need to do. And when he was 15, introducing fitness and we're, you know, introducing these different things along the way. Once I knew that he wanted to play Division One uh, college golf, we, you know, you have you're creating now a plan for that. And so I was very, very fortunate that they bought they bought into that. Um, specifically for for Colin, uh, he probably had a six month, uh, and it, again, very, very fortunate everybody that he had about a six month when he was about 15 to 16, uh, where he did have a growth spurt. Um, there was you, you know you're changing a little bit of clubs at the time, you're changing that. Um, it wasn't a massive drop, but it was a, a, a little bit of a drop. And then he ended up winning the Junior Western in one summer, uh, which really put him on the map from a, a national perspective. Um, and then you just saw, again, saw him get, again get consistent. Yet for all those listening, you know, if you go back, Colin was never the best eight-year-old. He was never the best 12-year-old. He was never the best 14-year-old. So um, you have to understand that he was very good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, he never won an AJGA event. Okay, uh, I think we've joked, Chris. I don't think he, you know, ever won a, a future champions event, right? Um, and yet, you, you see, he's having a, a successful um, uh, pro career for sure, uh, and he had a very successful college career. And, he, and and it was about the consistency of what can I do day in and day out. So he had a, he had a very good attitude about those little dips in performance every now and then. Um, I, I want to tell a quick story. I just came from Australia and I got to work with um, the Australian, they call them high performance team. And so Australia develops uh, junior golfers a lot differently than we do here in the States. And I don't want to get derailed on good or bad. I'm just going to say they do it differently. Uh, Australia uh, puts a team around a, an, a junior golfer quite early, helps them learn how to uh, go to tournaments, and it's a complete package from a swing coach to mental to physical to everything is taken care of um, if you're in the program. And I got to speak to Cam Smith's um, coach and his trainer and just seeing that Cam Smith, one of the best players in the world for sure, had a lot of ups and downs uh, throughout his uh, junior and, and, and even professional life. And it's when, you know, he flipped a switch, he, he became very competitive. He wanted to be the best he could be. And there was, there was a shift in his motivation. And uh, you now see somebody who's, uh, again, one of the best players in the world. So um, back to the mental side is how do you deal with that adversity? How do you deal with the things that are in your control is a skill. And yet if we're always constantly like, oh, we, we, we got to get points at our next event. We got to do this. We got, we do lose sense of what is in your control and how do I want to get better this week and next week? And again, I could go on a, on a rant um, off that, but looking long-term over short-term fixes, I think is crucial uh, for junior development. That's a fascinating take. No, I, it's, it's funny you actually bring up, uh, I unfortunately had the, well, pleasure and the downside of 
running into Colin during his collegiate days. Um, the tournament I made my debut at uh, was at the Farms Golf Club here in San Diego, um, which, for those who one. don't know, is a brute of a golf course on a good day. Um, and I was a little freshman who had just qualified for his first tournament, um, playing D1 completely out of my league, I felt. Uh, and who was there but Colin Morikawa and his UCLA team? Um, UC Berkeley. Yeah. Uh, correct. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. The Golden Bears. And um, I, him and I had very different experiences, I, I would argue. Um, I shot uh, 88, 85, 80 uh, and walked off the golf course and cried. Uh, Colin ended up winning by 11 shots. Uh, shot a casual 13 under and basically lapped the field. Um, it was one of those where I didn't really know who won. I didn't really care. I think I was too busy off crying, uh, to actually understand the, the gravitas of the situation. But it was one of those where he ended up winning by 12. And if you look at the rest of the field and where they ended up, he's a pro and the rest of us are somewhere below him. Um, and it is one of those where, you know, obviously I, I learned a lot from that tournament, but, um, it's funny you and Chris bring up kind of the development side and, you know, going through those growing pains. I I did actually give up the game right around the age of 14. I, I went through that exact same stage where I was really good until I was 12. I was ranked in the top three. I actually grew up in Australia. I actually know a couple of the guys on the high performance team now. And it's funny you actually bring that up. Um, but, you know, I was ranked in the top three in the state when I was 12, playing off a handicap of four. You know, I felt really good about where I was. And then I cracked into high school. I met girls. I started going through puberty. You know, I grew six inches in one year and then everything spiraled out of control. And I felt like, you know, I regressed from this handicap of four down to nine or 10. And, you know, I just was like, why am I still doing this? I'm not getting any better. And I, I did. I really lost sight of that end goal of I just I'm trying to better my skill set. And I did. I absolutely fell victim. I gave up the game for one year and in hindsight, if I could have that year back, I really would because, you know, I still feel like I'm progressing now, but it's, you know, I almost want that year back in terms of, you know, how much better could I be had I stuck it out, grinded out those, you know, bad patches. And, you know, I kind of see this, it's, it's really upsetting to me because I see, you know, a lot of parents will pull out their kids from tournaments if they're not playing well. It's like, I don't really understand that because to me, you know, you have to play tournaments if, if you're feeling bad because you have to understand what your body does in doing that and how you can combat that. I mean, I've I've had, well, especially now that I'm 22 or 21, I've had a couple rounds where I've been, say, hung over at the start of the round. And it's, you know, sure, I might not be playing at my best, but how do I manage myself to the point where I can actually put up these decent rounds and, you know, if I'm scrappy, you know, how can I just make a lot of pars and hopefully by the time I get to hold 12, I'll have figured something out that I can kind of work through that. Um, it's fascinating that, um, you know, you've worked with Colin so much and, you know, I think I really wanted to hammer home that point of we do, we do really get in this mindset of we are all after quick fixes in golf. We just want to play the best round every single time. And what happens when we don't do that? I mean, where do you see, you know, kind of that curiosity factor of say, those better golfers who will take the time to kind of reflect on a good round. Where do you see the, you know, like the reflection playing in as like a crucial factor for learning? 
Yeah, I, I, I may answer it slightly different is that, you know, adversity when we're not at our best is now a different skill. I mean, it's, it's, we can all be happy when we shoot our 66 and, oh yeah, give me the, you know, have everybody tell me how great I am. Um, but how we deal with that adversity. And, and I completely agree with you that um, I am not a big fan of parents pulling kids out or kids saying, oh, I shot my 80 in the first round. I'm going to WD for next tomorrow. I'm like, okay, you do that at D1 program after the first day and see what your head coach says. Okay. Okay. You can keep walking and you're not on the team anymore. Right. So if you don't develop some of those skills as a 13, 14, 15, 16 year old, there's no chance you're going to do it when you're an 18 or 19 year old. So um, I would rather somebody come back to me and, Hey, Rick, I shot 85 and I shot 80. I go, great. Thanks for showing up on day two. And it got a little better, not what you wanted, but it got a little better. And, um, and, and, and pe people forget about those, those rounds fairly quickly, not in the moment. I mean, we are just, oh my gosh, people are going to think they see my scores. They're gonna, it's like, they're worried about themselves too. Um, but it's back to, uh, I tell the story all the time when, when Colin played an AJJ event and he played in, um, the wind and at PJ national and did not play very well. And it was one of his highest scores ever. And he just came to me and says, Rick, we need to work on flighting our irons. It wasn't like, well, next time it's windy, I'll just WD. It was, Hey, this was a weakness. I need to make it a strength. And now if you asked him, he would love to have it as windy as possible. Right. That great ball striker. So I think we need to, I, and I tell juniors all the time, I want you to make all as many mistakes as possible from the age of 12 to 16. Um, and then those college coaches will see that. Um, remember a story of a, I, I believe it was UCLA's uh, coach um, who I'm good friends with, Derek Freeman. He was recruiting Colin at and saw him at a um, the high school state championship or whatever. And Colin triple bogeyed the first hole and then made three birdies in a row. And he goes, ah, that's the type of player I want. I want to know what they do after a triple, after a bad round, after that. And and that shows that mental toughness. That is a skill um, for everybody. So adversity, um, but you talked about reflection. After the round of golf, I say, okay, what, okay, what did I do well? What did I learn? What can I work on? But I say, hey, if you had any shots to do over with and you can't say hit a better shot, would you made a different decision? Would you have committed? Would you? And I have them think back of what was in their control that we could make those changes for in the future instead of I shot 80, I'll just... I want to forget about it. It's like, okay, if you forget about it, you may keep doing it. Uh, why don't we actually like, you know, fess up to it a little bit and take some ownership. So ownership accountability, I think is missing a little bit with um, some of the younger generation. Definitely. And Chris, so, I mean, I mean, all three of us have played golf. What was your, what was the college round that you probably learned from the most and what, what kind of triggered that? the most uh plus the tempo i remember starting some I, I mean i was maybe seven over through four holes on the back nine at pasa if you guys know that i'm sure rick has been there probably been there um yeah i just horrific horrific start and it was one of my first tournaments as a, as a freshman and obviously scared to shoot 95 um but i you know Slowed myself down. I tried to picture a good shot. I had seen all the shots that you could possibly imagine going left, right. <laughs> so, and usually now, I mean, now I have, it's still, it's still to this day is actually a good thing for my, the rest of my rounds, but I have seen that. So 
I did birdie like four of the last 12 maybe to shoot a decent round of maybe 76 or 75. Uh, I, I can't remember that, but it was definitely a memorable round of, of ups and downs and you know, you just never give up. So, yeah, I feel uh, like the, the not giving up is really important when it comes to what college coaches want to see, you know, um, because it's true. I mean, I've, I've been in, and Rick and Chris, I'm, I'm sure you guys have been the same way where you've potentially been like in a collegiate round. And I've started out with a quad before, like it happens. You know, I remember one tournament in, in Houston, we're playing Augusta Pines and it, shotgun start at 7.30 in the morning in uh, February. It's 35 degrees outside with a 20 mile an hour wind. Uh, you're freezing everywhere in places you didn't even think you could be cold. Um, and of course the hole that I got to start out on was a 200 yard par three with an Island green and, you know, promptly made a seven and, you know, but it, it is one of those things where, you know, it's true. Like Rick, he, I mean, like you said, so yourself, it's, you know, if you decide to give up halfway through you, you, like a round and you go back to your college coach, he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm mentally checked out today. I'd be like, okay, I'll never pick you again and you can find a new school. It is really as easy as that. And it's, you know, if I really find that that mindset of getting into that fighting mentality and, you know, really feeling like you're going to grit out that round is such a huge thing for college coaches, because in the ones that I've talked to and even the ones that I played for, that's all they want to see. Like, you don't have to have the best swing. You don't have to be the best technically. You've got to fight because that is what you do. That's how you win tournaments as a college team. And that's how you get better as a player. Exactly. And and that's an attitude and that's something that can be trained even as simple as when people go to the gym, right? One more rep, it's going to feel a little painful, but you're going to grow from that. I mean, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's something in life. Um, and being competitive, I think is, is lost a little bit. I mean, people want to win, don't get me wrong, but the competitiveness of, well, Rick, I'm not going to win. So why even bother? It's like, well, because eighth place is better than ninth place. Okay. Shooting 79 is better than shooting the 80, you know, and being competitive within yourself, I think, um, because we're so extrinsically motivated of I need to play in this future champions event so I can get ranking points so I can play in college. OK, that's great. That's an extrinsic thing. Um, the other one is I can't wait to play in this future champions event because it's at a really cool golf course. I love being with my friends. I love to see how good I can play today. That's an intrinsic reason. That's going to help you in the long term much, much, much more than the extrinsic. I love that. I love that. Well, I think that is a fantastic place to leave it for this week. Uh, Rick, thank you so much for, um, for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on. My pleasure. Thank you, everybody. And uh, looking forward to, to hearing future episodes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Rick. Thanks, buddy. You got it. <laughs>